Our text is 1 Peter, 1 Peter, and it's chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 19 through 25 this morning. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. And I've titled this sermon, Manhood That Becomes Fatherhood. Beginning in verse 19, he says, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief. Now, I don't believe that conscience is your guide. I believe the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit's leading, through the Word of God, is your guide. Okay? But, when the Holy Spirit of God and His Word is in your heart, it's in your mind, then that becomes a guiding direction, and your conscience will then become something that's bathed in the Word of God, that is well immersed into the Word of God, that will lead you and keep you from going to those things that should not be. Keep you from sin, or keep you uh, from the things that may lead to disaster, and that will keep you in the love of God and the righteousness that you should walk in. But, so having said that, for a conscience toward God, endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if ye be buffeted for your faults, and you take it patiently? But if then ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Now think about what that verse has just said. You do well and you suffer for it. And you take it patiently. You do well. Uh, you remember Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, in other words, I strongly urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, he said this kind of, in our text, here in verse 20, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So if you can't take these things patiently that he has mentioned here in verse 20, then we're not really living holy and acceptable unto God. And that's hard to do. As a matter of fact, I, most of the time I think it's impossible to do in your own strength. That's why you start the day every day in the Word of God. Every day in the Word of God. And think on it as you go throughout the day. Now let's look at the next verse. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Keep it in mind, when Jesus became man, He always existed in eternity past. God is a spirit, and He was spirit throughout eternity past. But in the councils of the Trinity, it was determined, 100% agreement in the Trinity, you might say, that Jesus would come to this earth, take on a human body. But in that, He lived, and He lived like we would have to. In other words, uh, Although he could have called 12 legions of angels to take, take him off the cross, to help him, to keep him from going to the cross. He could have done that. 
But he emptied himself of that, that he might be our Savior. But also, he's an example. Because the Bible also says that he was filled with the Spirit without measure. The Spirit of God. And so in the power of the Spirit of God, he never sinned one time. And when he's on that cross, and those guys are mocking him, and they're cursing him, and they're spitting on him, and they've beaten him, and they've done so much to him. He patiently says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He is our example. He left us an example in our humanity that we should follow his steps. Verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. I would think that when somebody's driving a spike through your hand and through your feet, they'd be screaming at the guy, they'd be yelling at him, most men would probably be cursing him. But Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who? Again, speaking of Jesus. His own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. It tells you something about how you're supposed to live after you're saved unto righteousness. He did that for us. I, I remember back years ago, my, my daughter had, she's had several surgeries, but I remember the one that was very, we weren't sure. We just weren't sure. And when doctors tell you you've got a 50% chance, you're praying, and, and actually in your prayers as a dad, you're saying, Father, keep her here. Look, put it on me. You, you want it to be on you, not her. You, you, if you could stand in for your child, you want to stand in for your child. And, and so as you look at something like that, Jesus looked at us that way. And he took our sins upon him, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Then verse 25 says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Well, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get started. Father, as we've looked into this text, it really lays out for us what you expect, but also leaving us an example that can be done in the power of the Holy Ghost in us as we give him free reign. We have complete submission to the Word of God. He'll do it all through us. For I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And oh Lord, I pray that our lives would show that we actually believe that. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, Before I get into 
the sermon here. I, I read something this week, and I just downloaded it this morning uh, up in my office, and for some reason or another, I couldn't get my computer to work all right, so the print I got is regular print that you would have in that little small stuff. I mean, this sermon here is in about 15 to 16 all capital letters uh, font. That's the way I do it now. This, I don't even think it's in 11 font, <laughs> okay? And it's not all capital letters, I'll tell you that. But I want to read this to you because it has the idea here it's behind these verses. And I hope you'll listen and bear with me as I read it. And uh, I, I, this was just sent to me this week. It's, I mean, I, I got this actually yesterday on the email, and I read through it, and I said, oh, wow. I'd like to share that. And he says, I read a most suggestive thing the other day. A great menagerie had been sold. Now, a menagerie was, is a place where uh, they keep wild animals to look at. It might be a lion. It could be some other kind of a wild animal. And it's in there, and, and people come by and look at it. They're safe, but, but it's in that menagerie. And that's, that's what a menagerie is. It's a place where wild animals are kept. Well... There was a good deal of straw uh, that had been at one time used as a temporary bedding for these wild beasts. The straw was bought by a man who owned a livery stable. All that straw that had been there, uh, it, was, it was bought by the man because now they got rid of this menagerie. And so all that straw was taken in. And, and he's, he's uh, doing that into his stalls. I mean, it, he said, hey, that's good stuff there. It's really good. I'm going to get that. And he, he bought it. And he had um, horses and so forth. He had a stable. So he put those into the, uh, the, the straw into the stalls of his horses. When he brought them into the stable, that straw is lying there in the straw, but a lion had laid on that straw before in the menagerie. And so now they don't see it. They don't see a lion. But a lion had couched there on that. That's where he rested. That's where he slept. That's where he ate. That's where he did so many things. The horses had never seen a lion in their life. And they weren't seeing one then. Yet, they were uneasy, restless, and would not go into the stall. Even though there wasn't a lion in there now. It was just from what a lion was. And so there was a, an instinctive dread of the enemy, an enemy they had never seen. But it was a real dread, fear, and they would not walk in. So it's possible, when we think about that, it's possible for a conscience 
to be so responsive to the voice of God, so dedically adjusted to the Word of God and its claims, because they read that Word daily, they think on it daily, they seek wisdom from it daily, they seek guidance from it daily, and it is them, they know God's Word. And we have it printed for us. It's not like a New Testament era of times where they had to go to a church or synagogue, you might say, to read. Now we have it there. We can read it any time of day we want to. You can even read it off your phone now. But as they, we read, you can know something. When the thing you don't know about, and you wonder, is this a sin? Is it wrong? And it's not even in full sight. You've not experienced it yet. You can't touch it yet. But it's coming. The scent of that thing in the nostrils of a holy God brings a disturbance to your conscience. The arousing that alarms you and delivers you from the sin that could have so easily beset you could have so easily deceived you. While the enemy is setting the trap even in front of you on the street of the pathway, you might say, the street ahead of life. I've seen that so much in Christianity today because that scent should have been recognized early. We should have known about it. When all of a sudden people were saying, we've got liberty. We've got grace to do this. God's given us grace. He's got, given us liberty. We're not under the law. Well, I'm glad you're not under the law. That means you don't have to love one another. I mean, that's, that's what the Old Testament law said, love one another. So, man, you're not under the law anymore. Come on. You just can't pick and choose what you want to apply. You see, the Old Testament sacrifices looked to one thing. It looked to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come. He's made the sacrifice. That's why we don't sacrifice lambs today. The sacrifice has already been made. But, it was never designed to turn the grace of God into lasciviousness to fulfill the desires and the lust of the flesh. So often what people say, well, it feels good to me. But is it holy? Is it righteous? See, God put in those horses a, an ability to smell and realized there was danger 
And that danger was long gone. But there had been a danger in that straw. Some people teach, it's all right to social drink. We got liberty. And their children see it. Their grandchildren see it. And what happens? Your liberty that has never allowed you to get drunk, they follow your steps and they become drunkards. And what kind of a father would that be? What kind of a father would say, it's all right, come on, it's not that bad, it's, it's all right. I mean, we could apply that to rock music, taking Jesus' words and adding them to rock music or any other kind of music. We can do that. Uh, our mind needs to be governed by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have to have a conscience that's, ba that's bathed and immersed into the Word of God and then a surrendered heart and mind to the Holy Spirit of God that will keep us from sin. Because it all has to do with our eternity. You know, we've been studying the book of Titus on Wednesday nights. <clears throat> Some say forever. But uh, we've been studying the book on Titus on Wednesday nights. And the theme of the book of Titus is behavior that becometh holiness. As a saved person, if you're saved here today, your behavior should become holiness. Now, when we read those first few verses about you take it patiently, when you suffer, you take it patiently, then we find out that's acceptable with God. And we're to be living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God. And too often our love for the world is greater than our love for the Lord. And we want to be accepted by the world. We want to be loved by the world. But my friend, let me tell you, there's an accounting day coming. You'll stand before God. I'd be a preacher that hated you by saying, hey, it's all right to do those things. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay, it won't hurt you. See, I'd be hating you to do that. See, the love is to warn you. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He came to save us from our sin. Not save us to sin and not feel guilty about it. He came to save us from sin. But there is an accounting given one day before God. If you're not saved, you're going to be at a seat. It's called the white throne of God. You're going to be judged at that seat. The white throne of God. And if you're at that seat, He's not going to determine how much reward you got. In a sense, He will be. But it's not like you think. If you're at the white throne judgment, that means you're going to be cast into the eternal lake of fire forever and ever. The reward is that it'll be worse for some than it is for others, but all hell is bad. The other seat is the judgment seat of Christ. You may be saved, but all of a sudden you start to justify these things of the flesh because they added Jesus' name to it. They added a few words to it. 
But understand, the Bible says that there'll be many there that'll be ashamed. Ashamed at his appearing. Saved so as by fire. Now I'll say more about that tonight, but I just want you to know. I want you to know that if you're saved, you're going to be before a judgment seat of Christ. If you're not saved, you're going to be through a, at a great white throne. If you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be in heaven. But if you're taken in by the sins of this world and you're going to live in them, then understand this. Understand this. Saved so as by fire means no reward. And that's a shame because it doesn't change throughout all eternity after that. The reward is brought in in this lifetime. I believe one of the first times I really caught on, not the first time I read it, but probably one of the first times I caught on in studying the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, and I taught that years ago here and, and on radio years ago. But when I got 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, the hidden things of darkness, those things of the heart that will be judged, and I didn't make those things right with the people I may have sinned against or the things I've done where I can make it right. It's going to be made light then. The trouble is, is that at the judgment seat of Christ even, there's a reason you'll be ashamed because Jesus already knows it, but now those that you thought you had it hid from will know it too. Now folks, I'm talking about manhood that becomes fatherhood because one of the reasons you have a country that's so messed up, they don't know what gender is what. When you have a country that's telling you drugs are all right, that drinking's all right, and all this other stuff's all right, when they talk about uh, the home, they talk about now homosexuality and all this other stuff as all right, this world is messed up and God's going to judge. Now, we've got to pray for revival because if you have an ounce of love for your country, God will save it if it repents. Now, everybody goes to uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people, it's called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. And boy, that's where we stop. Turn from their wicked ways. And those things are wicked that we're talking about. Now, manhood that becomes fatherhood is a man that says, I'm going to stand up for Jesus no matter what, come what may. Now, we talked about Jesus Christ on the cross just a few moments ago in this text. Think of this. He came to this world to die for us. On the cross, He bore our sin for us. He left an example for us. But when you think of how He suffered, the scorning, the hate, everything about it, when you think of that, His love, His love, that was manhood that becomes fatherhood. Love became Jesus Christ. God is love. Love becomes him. When we say something becomes that guy, you know, they say, 
he reacted this way. Yeah, that kind of a mind attitude, uh, that, that kind of an attitude, that kind of mind, whatever, that becomes him, that becomes her, that becomes whoever. And, and they associate action and action as something that becomes them. In other words, that is their personality. That is their person. That's what becomes them. Love becomes Christ. The cross becomes him. But as a man, your father here today, pleasing God, wholly acceptable unto him, ought to become you because your children are influenced. They are influenced. Now, your child has a free will. A lot of times as Christians growing up, you know, you're saying, if you do this, do that, do this, do that, that my children will come out all right and they'll never do this. And they're there right, oh, can't allow that in. But one time you're not going to be around your children when they're fully tempted. And you better have had that time in the Word of God that you drilled it into your children's hearts and minds as they grew up in your home. And you drill that into their heart and mind. You pray for them. You live it before them, but you also pray for them and you teach it to them so that it's in their heart, so it won't depart from them, so that when they are tempted and they, if they do go off into another direction, they can enjoy it. Brother Gary was sharing in our uh, Sunday school today that how less and less people from just several years ago believe in God. And in young people, it was even far less than the others. The older people still believe in God. The older people, the senior perhaps. But the more and more as you went down the line, it just got less and less believing in God. Well, maybe those children never got to see what God does in a life. They've got professors standing in, in colleges. They've got teachers standing in schools trying to teach them everything that goes on uh, in this world that is righteous uh, has been a bad thing. And it's going to take fathers to be the man they ought to be in their home and let that holiness, let that righteousness become you as a dad. Unless you just want your children and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren to go to hell. I don't think you do. You say, preacher, that's pretty tough speaking. No, that's, that's love speaking. I don't want your children grandchildren in hell. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, where'd you find that in the Bible? You know what? I've never yet seen any place where Jesus said, it's not that bad about sin. Have you? I didn't. Sometimes I'll tell people, I've read that Bible through every time, every year since 1974, and sometimes two and three times a year. Somehow or another, I still haven't seen that in there, that it's not that bad when talking about sin. Yeah, you love your children, but you better love them as much spiritually as you do fleshly or just by the natural Human love, look. Dogs love their puppies. Cattle love their calves. That's a natural instinct God put in man and animals. But the holy, acceptable unto God relationship is only natural 
when it becomes you to be in the Word of God every day and to live by it and to seek, Lord, show me. Show me myself. Show me yourself. Show me if there's a wicked way in me that needs to be taken care of. Show me. And ask Him that daily. Yes, that behavior that needs to become you. It comes from God. You've got to have a daily time. And listen, if you're a dad here that <clears throat> you say, I don't have that time in God's Word, or I, I do get to it, I do have devotions. And you can get your devotions done in five minutes. I read my Bible, I read a little devotional book, I had a prayer, five minutes or less, you're done. What about it? You guys that are teenagers, perhaps you're not married yet, and others in their 20s and things like that, not married yet, and you've, you've dated. Is it just five minutes? Well, hey, I want to take you out to eat. Five minutes, let's go home. Hey, you don't really develop a relationship that way, do you? Don't develop a relationship. And it's not even where you go to eat. You sit, you talk. You take them places. You share your heart. The Bible says, pour out your heart to me. Now, folks, I'm saying all that to get to this point. If you claim that you're saved, then act like it and live like it and be what you ought to be. You don't think it affects your family. It does. You don't think it affects your country. It does. If we're not willing to turn from our wicked ways, well, you don't call it wicked. Let me tell you something. And there are a bunch of theologians that will disagree with what I'm about to say. But I'm going along with God on this, not them. Your social drink, that is wicked. You let that cuss word out ever so often, that is wicked. You know one thing I can say? As a little boy growing up, didn't hear my parents cuss. They probably felt like it to a couple of us boys several times, but they didn't. They didn't cuss us out. Why, oh, that's wickedness. That's wickedness. It's time. It's time to set an example by following the example of Christ. He set it for us. He did it in His humanity so we can follow and walk in His humanity. We can do it. But you can't do that unless first you're saved. That's why when we was reading through our text this morning, we got down there to verse 24. It says, Who His own self bear, took on Him, something that He had never had, our sins in his own body on the tree. That's when the Father would pour out his almighty wrath, the almighty God who could speak the worlds into existence. His almighty wrath of the Father would be poured out upon his human spirit, punishing all that sin, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sin, 
should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. I'm afraid too many have believed that which they should. Said, man, I don't go to hell. Lord, save me. Take my sin from me, cleanse me. And they get saved and afterwards they're saying, well, I'm going to heaven now. I got it made. And even though he bore our sins on the cross, as we read here, took it all upon him, bearing it for us, what happened to live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed? I don't want to do that. People, I got friends up think I'm stupid. They don't even want to go to this church because you got holy standards. They don't call them holy because they know, they know they are, but they just won't call it holy because they'll call us legalist. But listen, I'm not worried about what they call us. They're going to get straightened out in heaven if they're saved. What I'm concerned about is they get it straight before they go to heaven or to hell, whichever they're going. Get right with God. And that's his invitation to you. Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to walk in his Holy Spirit. He wants you to have his good hand upon you. But my friend, the thing that keeps his good hand off of you is not walking in his word. Now, he does want to save you if you're not sure you died today to heaven to your home. You might say, Pastor, goodness gracious. You know, there might be somebody in this auditorium who says, I got away with it. Nobody knows it. I killed somebody. Somebody might say, you know, I had this relationship. I had that relationship. Nobody knows about it. And that person's since died, so I'm fine. No. No, you're not fine. But whatever your sin is, God can still forgive it. Just saying, ah, I did these evil sins. How could he save me? Because he so loved you that he would die for you. If you'll turn to him in repentance and faith, he'll save you. Just come to him. Now, folks, what I preach there is doctrine. That is doctrine. Salvation is a doctrine. Repentance is a doctrine. Living wholly acceptable in the Lord is a doctrine. And we just saw a doctrine here in these first few verses that we read here in verse 19 and following. If you bear it patiently, it is acceptable unto God. Yeah, I know what it is to be mocked and made fun of for our stand. But by faith, I know what it is to be rewarded for that, too. And so can you. If you're not sure you died today, then heaven's your home. My friend, I'm going to give you the opportunity here in just a moment. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes and have a word of prayer. And then we're going to have an invitation song. And you can come down here. We've got people that are trained in the Word of God that will open the Bible and show you how to be saved. But if I as a Christian, as a Christian dad, a Christian mom, 
You know what? My language has got to change. My, my sin has to be cut out of my life. I've got, to do th- I've got to do that. I've got to get it right with God. Then come make it right with God. If you want someone to pray with you, see me and I'll have someone pray with you up here. But let's take care of it, won't you? Do it now. Do it today. The best, best thing you can do for your dad, for your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, is that the rest of your years be wholly acceptable unto God. Let's bow our heads, please.